this is Guys Read Romance, where I, romance author Margot Radcliffe, politely strong-arm my male friends into reading and chatting about romance novels with me for an uncomfortably long period of time. Here we go. Hello. Today we are so lucky to have Steve Amidon on the podcast. This is the first time Steve and I have actually met. I have followed him on social media for years. First, because he's a former archivist for the Brown Pop Culture Library and the 2019 Kathy Lynn's Librarian of the Year. And secondly, because he engages with the romance community and spearheaded one of the only and possibly the only romance novel conferences researching the romance novel at Bowling Green State University. He's a romance genre historian, proprietor of romancehistory.com, and you can find him in some of his super cool vintage romance novels at at romancehistorian on Instagram and at S-T-E-G-A-N on Twitter. So thank you so much, Steve, for taking the time to do this podcast, and I just can't tell you how excited I am to chat about romance with you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and uh, you know, this is sort of a, a perfect niche podcast for me to be on. So I I love it. And yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, there's not many of these. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what the market for this is. But you know, (laughs) we're going to keep going. That's it. (laughs) So my first question is, what kind of books do you you typically read if not romance or kind of prior to and I guess I'm assuming that you read romance, I instead of just maybe studying it. So kind of I guess talk to me about all of that. (laughs) Sure. So I, I do mostly read romance. At this stage in life, I read, you know, nonfiction as well, but, you know, mostly romance from both an academic standpoint and also just a personal enjoyment standpoint. Growing up, I was always a genre reader. I was a mystery reader, sci-fi, horror, things like that. So when I sort of started reading romance, it was it was a natural sort of transition, the beats the beats of it came very easily to, to me, and often it feels like sort of a warm blanket, which is right. which is always a lovely thing. So yeah, exactly. I mean, except yeah. if you're like in the desert, I guess. But well, yeah. <laughs> I, really, I find myself there. So, what do you have a particular subgenre of romance that you kind of gravitate towards, or are you kind of all? I- so I tried to read very broadly everything from, you know, Regency to, you know, Beverly Jenkins sort of antebellum and, and post-Civil War era historicals, um, contemporaries, you know, I'll throw in the occasional Cressley Cole sort of sure. banana sci-fi <laughs> fantasy kind of romance as well occasionally. So I try to sort of read very broadly because I think, you know, it's it's such a massive genre for sure in the scope of it that I think that, you know, it's almost a sin to sort of just narrow yourself way, way down. Right. Do you have some favorites like authors or particular books that you could point to? I I really, Alyssa Cole was one of the authors that sort of hooked me into romance. Right. And she is definitely sort of a warm blanket read for me. Um, even when, even though her books are often very deep and yeah. difficult to read, but her Civil War historicals, uh, the Loyal League, as well as the Reluctant Royals uh, contemporary series, I 
anything she writes, I'm I'm down for it. Right, and she's a great Instagram follow as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she's got all there's animals, cute fun yeah. animals all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it's like you, uh, vicariously living in paradise. Exactly. So yeah, but yeah, so her uh, Courtney Milan is yeah. was another early author for me that sort of hooked me on Regency in terms of being sort of a non-traditional Regency author. You know, Beverly Jenkins, obviously. Queen. Uh, yeah. Olivia Dade, who we're going to talk about today, yeah. is someone who I've gone back to a few times, and I always enjoy her work. She's definitely a blanket, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so it's sort of in that sort of range, sort of more contemporary authors. I tend to, I, I will occasionally go back and read very old romance. So like there's old school, but I find when most people talk about old school, they mean like from when they were teenagers. Sure. Mm-hmm. So like for a lot of people, old school is the nineties and I'm like, that, no, 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 no. Let's go way back. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I'll occasionally dip in and read something from the sixties or the seventies. Right. So you're reading like Barbara Cartland and stuff. Oh, <laughs> I've read one Barbara Cartland and it was a hot mess. Yeah, it's really And I cannot recommend that book (laughs) at all. But, you know, I think it's interesting to sort of hop hop decades with romance and and see what has changed and what is exactly the same. Right. You know, some things never, truly never change. Yeah. (laughs) Like the happy ending, of course. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's really interesting. We could talk about that forever because i have a lot of questions but that's not really what we're here for today <laughs> maybe another time i would i have so many questions i because we've talked briefly on here i used to be i kind of entered romance in with rosamund pilcher who wasn't um necessarily like um she's more like a almost leaning towards women's fiction but definitely i feel like feel like romance so there's just so many older names that have i've kind of forgotten but really had me enter in into the genre that mm-hmm. um, love to celebrate but but that's your job and i don't have to do that so <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can you tell me why, like how or why you did start reading romance? Because I mean, as this podcast can attest, like and none of the other guys I've had on here have ever read romance. So can you kind of tell us how you got into it? Like what was the impetus behind? So it's it's the least sexy possible answer. <laughs> I got into it because of work. Well, uh- Sure. So when I took the job at the Brown Pop Culture Library at Bowling Green, the the first thing I noticed was the the size and breadth of the romance collection there, sure. which is one of the largest romance collections of any academic library. Uh, there's only a few other that even come close. Well, it can't be that difficult, honestly. I mean, like our library has like no romance, but sure. I. Sure. <laughs> but I. You know, only a few libraries have even have even tried. They've sort of approached it from, you know, particular authors who are alumni or or things like that. Indiana University's Lilly Library has recently begun collecting more broadly and in volume of some of the older romance, which I think is a, a good sign that sort of these collections start multiplying and I, I think is is nothing but positive. Anyway, so but the reason I I sort of looked at this and I was like, I've never read this. I need to understand it better. So I, I went to my wife, who has been a romance reader for years. I was like, give me give me a reading list. 
Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she started me out with Courtney Milan's Brother Sinister series. Yeah. And that sort of expanded the idea of, of what I thought romance could be, right? Like these very empathetic male characters, right? Like they weren't just jerks from the get-go, you know, powerful women, all of these things that I think, you know, makes for a really good romance in the 21st century. I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> and then I just started sort of picking up books at work or picking up books at home and and grabbing them and getting into it. You know, that was ooh, seven years ago, seven-ish, seven or eight years ago, something like that. So, so yeah, so not the sexiest answer, but... <laughs> I do enjoy it. And it is something I, I, I read for pleasure as well as sort of for research and academically as well. No, I think that's a great answer. I mean, like, I it's too much to ask of any guy to just see to pass one by in the store and be like, I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna read this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and there's all sorts of ways in. And, <laughs> and that just happens to be like the dorkiest possible answer. <laughs> it's great. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, well, thank you. That's pretty cool. Now, this is going to be, I thought about skipping this because it's going to be awkward and I apologize, but um, <laughs> okay. I, just, I just do. Um, but so we normally play a game where I'm going to read you two passages of sex scenes in books, and then okay. you have to guess which is written by a man and which is written by a woman. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm down for it. Let's right. Let's give it a try. <laughs> I just am sorry. It's very, (laughs) it's awkward. And there's no other way around it. All right, but here we go. And you can just, I'll read both and then you can guess at the end. Excuse me. All right, here we go. I'm so sorry. Okay. His his tongue is long and hard and taste of mint. We don't say anything, but he pushes me to my knees in the middle of the shop. It's difficult to undo his fly. I put my hand in. It's hot and damp. And then Christ, it's amazing. Huge. It just goes on and on. All right. All right. That's the first one. Oh, God. All right. Here's the second one. He tossed her to her back, pinning her hands above her, still driving into her. Her hand fanned out, haloing her head, and the scent of it exploded within him. He swayed from the power of it. He was claiming her at last. He was inside his mate. Whew. Um, I mean, if I, if I had to give at, at first blush, it's, it's number one feels like the, the one that's written by a man. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have um, some reasoning like behind that? Choice? You know, it's the, the, the bit about it goes on and on. Um, felt like felt like a little bit of uh, ego, yeah. The you know, authorial ego, for lack yeah. of a better word. Also, for the sure. second one sounded really familiar, and I feel oh. like I might have read that. I don't remember though. I feel like you might have. Yeah, or at well, least the the beats of it were very familiar. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. words, the the phrases felt familiar. So gotcha. All right. Well, you are correct. The first one was a man. It was star-crossed by A.A. A. Gill, who I've never actually heard of and won't read anything else by. But <laughs> um, <laughs> And then the second one is, you're correct, A Hunger Like No Other by Chrisley Cole. So ah, my- okay. <laughs> oh, I have read that one. It's brilliant. <laughs> you have that- to. That's when you start. <laughs> 
You know, I years ago uh, worked with a writer at Men's Health who was mm-hmm. doing an article about romance. And I did like a five books guys could read. And yeah. Cressley Cole's A Hunger Like No Other was on that list because it's just so bonkers. You're coming, he cuts his own leg off. I mean, is yeah. that like the manliest thing a man can think of? Like, I gotta, it's, I love this woman so much. I've got to lose a limb. to. <laughs> it's like just brilliantly <laughs> awful and amazing at the same time. Yeah. Um, no notes. It's perfect. <laughs> so. Well, I have that one will be on the podcast in a couple of months. I had. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And he thought he was like, he couldn't even understand that it had been written. He was like, this is <laughs> like, you're not the only one who thinks so, but like, yeah. whatever. Read Lothair, you know what I mean? You yeah. don't even understand yet how crazy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he sends her a heart. It's off the chain. It's unhinged. Yeah. All right. yeah. Well, today, thank you very much for humoring me during that. I We will never discuss it again. Um, <laughs> so- <laughs> So the book that we're talking about today is Shipwrecked by Olivia Dade. Some information about Olivia. She's a 2020 Ripped Bodice Award winner for for excellence in romantic fiction. She has starred reviews in Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Bookpage. Her books have been favorably reviewed in the New York Times, Washington Post, Kirkus, Entertainment Weekly, and CNN, and many more. So she's very celebrated and super popular right now. She's got a mix of uh, traditionally published novels as well as a good number of self-published books that are fantastic. She typically kind of, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is known for her work with fat characters. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. The book summary to Shipwrecked is Maria's One Night Stand, a thick-thighed, sexy Viking of a man she left without a word or a note, just reappeared. Apparently, Peters, her surly Gods of the Gates co-star, and they're about to spend the next six years filming on a desolate Irish island together. She still wants him, but he now wants nothing to do with her. Peter knows this role could finally transform him from a forgettable character actor into a leading man. He also knows a failed relationship with Maria could poison the set, and he won't sabotage his career for a woman who's already walked away from him once. Given time, maybe they can be cooperative colleagues or friends, possibly even best friends, but not lovers again, no matter how much he aches for her. For years, they don't touch off camera, but on their last night of filming, their mutual restraint finally shatters and all their pent-up desire explodes into renewed passion. Too bad they still don't have a future together since Peter's going back to Hollywood while Maria's returning to her native Sweden. She thinks she needs more than he can give her, but he's determined to change her mind, and he's spent the last six years waiting, watching, wanting. His shipwreck Swede doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> that's quite that's quite a book summary. All right. So I gave you a list and you didn't like any of them, and you suggested this book. So why why did you pick this one and what drew you to it? Um, so a few things. So I have been known to complain about (laughs) the lack of not necessarily fat men in romance novels, but sort of men who are average, who are not ripped and heavily muscled and and things. I did get in trouble on Twitter about this uh, like a year, six or eight months ago. um, People got very mad at me for suggesting that normal men could be in romance novels. (laughs) 
Really? Because I think it's like a trend. I mean, I've talked about on this podcast about the dad bod books. I mean, there's like a whole series of... Yeah, and and some of those are not really dad bods as I would define them. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that if it is a trend, it's it's a very it's a very low level minor trend, you know. But I so when I when I was talking about this, Olivia sort of chimed in and said, "Hey, you know, this character is you know this is going to be a book about two fat main characters." I was like, "Oh, I'm in! Like I I'm fascinated. I've read a couple of Olivia's books in the past and really enjoyed sort of her characterization and the way she's structured her books." So I was like, I'm I'm in. And then she announced that she was doing a pre-order swag that was oh, this wow. positively amazing dust jacket yeah. um, that is an homage to Joanna Lindsay's Tender as the Storm. Yes. Um, it's a gender flipped version of that cover um, by Lenny Kaufman, who did the original cover as well. And I was like, okay, I'm pre-ordering this now. Like I, I was just, it took two seconds for me to figure out that I needed this book. And that cover is, was the man was on the ground kind of looking up at the woman and her hair is flowing, much like a Fabio cover. That's a big. Yes. Cover. And so, and, and also the woman is naked with the, the hair sort of draped over her breasts. It's everything about it is, is spectacular. It's very. Mm-hmm. And, and so I ordered this. The book came out right before the HarperCollins strike started. And so I, like a lot of people said, you know, I'm just going to sit on this until that's done. And, you know, that ended a few weeks ago. And I was just like, this is a perfect storm. Like you invited me on here. This book is sitting on my TBR pile. Let's, let's do this. Cause I think it's really interesting. And I, I'm very glad that I picked it because I really, really enjoyed reading this book. Oh, I'm glad. Did you now this is the third book in that series, I think. And so did you read the first two? I have I've started and not finished the first book, which was not the fault of the book. I was just I was in a massive reading slump. It happens. Yeah, that uh I just could not get through a book at that point. But I I know sort of the the framework of you know, this world that she's kind of built, uh, the Olivia Dade cinematic universe. Um, <laughs> A.K.A. Game of Thrones, or just bashing Game of Thrones the whole time. Right. <laughs> brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly bashing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, cool. That worked out then. I'm so glad. And so we kind of talked about the cover already. Mm-hmm. And we can we can kind of quickly touch on that. So when you look at that cover, did the content of the book, because one of the things I hear on from dudes is like, oh, it's just like, they talk about the old Fabio covers, like I said, and like they how on a very just pervasive level, romance covers never seem to reflect like the tone of the book, like what mm-hmm. the book is about who the characters actually are the voice of the writer it just somehow never seems to capture that so that's this is one of the reasons i asked this question to kind of drive home the fact that like whatever it is people are seeing on their way through a bookstore wherever it is they're seeing romance novels like their quick assumption based on this cover that essentially on some levels means nothing right that has nothing Mm -hmm. not a lot with the actual book and so how we kind of get around that and and so when you read the book and you this is 
it's not as relevant because that cover is very lovely. But when you were reading, do you feel like the cover kind of reflected the tone of the book, the content? Tell me your thoughts about and or we can we can break that into out into just romance novels in general and your and your thoughts on, on Yeah, that. so I think that in the case of this book, I think both the original cover and the the dust cover, I think there's even a third alternate cover out there somewhere um, that I've seen. But I think in this case, I think it sort of nails the kind of the characterizations, right? Like it really looks like them. They are not sort of perfectly formed people. You know, she is in her costume from the series. He's wearing a suit, which sort of ties into part of the the plot of the book. And I felt like it, it was not over the top, but it's it's an homage to an older style of cover while using kind of the current cartoonish form of, of drawing. And I think that that, to me, it strikes a nice balance because do feel like when I see a cover that is a man with ripped abs pulling up his shirt, right? Like, and it's just, I, you know, I understand why they do that. Um, <laughs> Because it's a thumbnail cover, right? Like it's supposed to be while you're scrolling through Amazon, you go, oh, all right. I know what that is. Uh Um, (laughs) I know what that is, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I do find those covers a turnoff. And I think a cover like this kind of hits the right notes where it's not so abstract. You know, I think some of the the current uh, covers, you know, Jasmine Guillory books and some of those got a little too abstract for a long time where like there were no faces and, you know, or the head was cut off or or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think with this and Lenny Kaufman has done a number of covers for Avon um, Mm -hmm. that are sort of in a similar vein. I think that that's taking it in the right direction to making it a little more accessible to, you know, you're not going to just walk by it because of the cover necessarily. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. cute, right? It's just cute. I mean, then like some level like it's that's what i mean like i don't know it delivers on cuteness this book yeah. you know what i mean like the like the relationships between the friends are like super fun and like mm-hmm. it's, so although um, i will say like you 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 get the cute cover you open to the first ta- first oh. page and <laughs> maria is mid orgasm and you're like oh so it's that kind of book um, <laughs> You know, expectations were set early on, is is all I'm saying. They really were. And I listened to it on audio and I was like, and and so I was just driving along in my car and I was like, wow, okay, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, I was like, it was seven in the morning and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm still drawn. Anyway, all right. So this the book is mo- set mostly on a remote island and it's set in like we said is like Game of Thrones. Was that at all part of what made what drew you to this book or you just don't care about that? You know, to a certain degree I don't care, but also, you know, I think the idea of the characters sort of being growing their relationship while kind of stuck together mm-hmm. is it's it's an old romance trope. Yep. You know, it's in this case, I think Olivia at one point sold it as there's only one island. Um, you know, but like it got it got everyone to develop this sort of found family aspect that I really enjoyed. So I I think that that was an interesting part of it. I think, you know, because this was sort of built around this idea of these two characters being thrown together the whole time, you know, I think that that made it really interesting. And I think from a you know, as someone who didn't watch Game of Thrones, but 
you know, is sort of part of, you know, I'm part of a lot of different fan groups and, you know, I have, I have my own fanish tendencies. Um, so to see all that where, you know, they're sort of like ripping apart Game of Thrones in, in very funny ways. I really enjoyed that. And I, I felt like I could identify with that and sort of the fan fiction aspects and things like that were fun. Right. Well, it's very, I mean, like I enjoy Game of Thrones. I'm not like a super fan and it definitely, you know, I have my issues with it, both books and show, but like it felt at a certain, <laughs> I've read all three of the books in the series uh-huh. and I, I, <laughs> At a certain point in this one, like I just felt like she has just drugged these people for three entire books, and I, I just like I in this one I was like feeling bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she has just raked them over the coals <laughs> this whole time. I mean, like, and I, <laughs> I was just like, I they did six great seasons of television. Like I know the last season was terrible. Like it's too much. At least give them some credit, but she just did not give them credit at all. (laughs) Fans can forgive a lot, but they never forget. Oh gosh, no. (laughs) Even, even none of the characters that are in the show, I mean, they're all dragging them. I mean, there's not a single person sticking up for the creators of of that show or the show itself. It's <laughs> and and again, like I was not someone who watched it, so I don't I don't have a standpoint, but I know, you know, just from following kind of the the online discourse about it. Um, you know, it it felt fun. Like I know she was dragging them, but it was very much like in the spirit of what everyone else would do in that situation. So it's true. It's true. Um, but I agree with you. I do like the forced proximity trope. Um, it's mm-hmm. an old one, but and they're all old. <laughs> and they're all some <laughs> are great, right? But that one in particular, and like it felt. Well, we can talk about it later. But anyway, all right. So, do you did you think that the dialogue was realistic? And do you think that that's how people in real life talk to each other? I, you know, it felt realistic to me. Like I, I think that she mixed sort of external dialogue and internal dialogue really well mm-hmm. where like you had sort of the things where that people weren't saying right. were at least sort of there. And it, and it felt like in a situation where you have someone where English is not their native language, mm-hmm. you know, like they would pepper, you know, little words from their own language in there no matter what you know and i felt like the the banter between the two characters where they're sort of playfully teasing each other all the time was fun it was it was ridiculous at points where you're like okay 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 Um, but it was still enjoyable no matter what like it you know it felt like a real awkward relationship starter right like it they they're not like it wasn't enemies to lovers or something like that like they liked each other genuinely and like i it felt like sort of you know how how i would expect a relationship like that to develop where it's sort of that teasing and trying to get it under each other's skin and sure. it's it's underlying you know their own feelings about each other yeah and i guess i and i part of the reason i asked this question is i think there's an attitude among 
guys who don't read romance that like all the guys sound like girls and like all of it is just girl things and they're just talking about girl whatever that means which is fiction right it's fallacy sure. but that's what kind of what they think so it always is strange to me like i think that the conversations that's one of the things that romance does best is is the dialogue between the characters i feel like it's always kind of tension filled the banter and, and lots of there are certain writers and authors who do it best and do it really really well but mm-hmm. i think by and large most of the romance novels i read dialogue is one of those strong points that like i think romance authors know how people really talk to each other how to right. how humans interact right whereas i read a lot of just kind of literary fiction i'm like these this is not this is not how people communicate yeah. So I just kind of like to bring that up. And I think Olivia really does a great job in this. And I really loved the texting with the the group text threads. Mm -hmm. I thought all of that was great. So yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that I think that sometimes and I think this happens in in most genre books, you know, there are times where like the exposition can kind of get in the way of the dialogue where like, they're trying to get a point across and they're using sort of very flat terminology, but like, it didn't get in the way of the the plot or the the relationship development. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I feel like that's a thing that, you know, it happens in mysteries and science fiction just as much. So yeah. yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean, like, I tried reading the Game of Thrones books, and like, I uh-huh. it's like, a, I mean, I can't. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and unless you're really into that, like, that's yeah, and like so many other things, you know, the the book and the the filmed product are very different, and they're they should be sort of looked at as completely different things. Sure, definitely. So speaking of, did you think there was true chemistry between Peter and Maria? So this is tricky because I, I, you sent me this question. I'm like, well, they, they are having sex on page one. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, that there was some chemistry. You know, I think that it's, I think the the true test of a, a romance's chemistry is, is what it's like when they're not actively falling in love, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they were, they they did become friends and you saw that sort of friendship develop on the page mm-hmm. tells me that, that it, it wasn't just physical chemistry. They obviously, like, had the hots for each other. Sure. But, you know, there ended up being a lot more there, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciated because I think that sometimes you just end up with this sort of jump where it's like, you don't understand why they like each other, but they do. And you're like, oh, I guess I'll go with it. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. You know, and, and that's where like a found family situation kind of helps. You know, it shows them interacting with other people. And, you know, for Peter, it was Maria helping him come out of his shell and, and all of that. I think that was really important in terms of plot development and just showing them as fully realized human beings. Definitely. All right. And then I'm going to come back to that. But since we're kind of here, did did you think that the sexual attention and the, and the sex was well written and realistic? I mean, it wasn't like a fantastical type of a sexual relationship. No, I don't think it was. I think that it was very, I think it seemed like she was deliberately writing very normal sex between the two of them, mm-hmm. um, where it was kind of awkward a little bit. And then, you know, it was really hot and then it was awkward. And, they, and, and like, you know, they were sort of, you never felt like, I don't know, it never felt awkward to me. Like it, in the sense that it, 
I wasn't like turning away because I was like, oh, this is this is getting weird or it's getting too <laughs> too in the weeds or anything like that. I, I think she did a good job of writing it, but then also knowing when to pull back, you know, and, and sort of step away from it. For sure. And then like kind of going back now to the I agree. I think she does a great a, a great job. And so one of the things that I kind of felt about it was because there was kind of that release, that sex in the beginning, right? That in the, the mm-hmm. very first, did you feel that by the time they had sex the second time, that that kind of took some of the tension out of the story? So by the time that they had sex, once they're kind of emotionally involved, mm-hmm. did that kind of decrease the tension for you? I guess? That's a good question. I I felt like I don't I don't know that it did. I think it just made it different. Mm-hmm. And I think this was one of a few different plot devices she used mm-hmm. to sort of make it feel a little bit different than a lot of other books. There was still a lot of sexual tension. Like there was this I felt like I felt the 6 years between them. <laughs> um, yeah. You know that that sort of like you're like, "Oh, when is it going to end?" Um <laughs> You know, and I think you get to that point and it feels like they really want it now. Like they, not just from a sexual standpoint, but that sort of emotional connection to each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that I was surprised because I, as I was, because as I said, I read the first two books. So I, when they started at the, when the book started, it was like before the series started. And I knew that in the other books, they had kind of come to the end of the the TV series. And so I was wondering, like, how is this gonna work? And then like, she went through the time, like, felt quick to me. So I like, I had a bit of, I bring that up because I felt like that too she was fighting against like i think it's hard mm-hmm. to maintain that that bit rising tension between those people when e- even though it's just a page flip it's still for the reader time passes so like right. that feeling of how do i keep this up i mean because it's been six years how do i keep these people kind of you know um and i think she did a a good job and because so she was working against that and the fact that they had already consummated their relationship at the beginning of the book so well and i think that you know when they i'm just looking again i think when they come back together at the end of that six years you're halfway through the book yeah and that was a moment for me where i was like if there is a bleak moment in this book, I am going to be so mad. <laughs> so I was like, just let them come together. Let them be happy. Oh, no. It's, a, it's just a little bleak. It's not like... It's a little bleak, and, and I still got mad, but I got over it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like, get over it. I'm still kind of mad. I'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, but like, I felt like that bringing them together in the middle of the book was really interesting because it it almost reintroduced that tension Mm -hmm. as a romance reader. Cause you're like, well, wait a minute, this is really early. What's going to happen. So yeah, I thought that was, that was really an interesting approach. Well, and even before that, she says, I love you. You know, I mean, I want to be not, I love you, but I want to be with you. Why? And he's like, sorry. And like, even then it's kind of a release of that tension because she's admitted it, right? She's admitted the thing that we're all waiting to hear. Like, these are my feelings. What's up? And he's like, right. dumb. 
you know? And there are a lot of kind of Mm non-traditional structural things in this that she was playing with. Okay, that's awesome. So kind of along those lines, one of the things that I keep hearing as as I talk to guys is that this idea that romance novels are like an accurate or authentic picture of people falling in love or being emotionally intimate, they seem to not... I'm sorry, I'm butchering this question, but they're not buying that romance novels depict this in any sort of authentic way. Like they're like, mm-hmm. this is not emotional intimacy to them in, in romance novels. And so my question, I guess, is did you believe that these characters are or were in love and what about their story or the way they connected with each other resonated to you that this was an authentic love story? So I, I totally understand that criticism. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I think, you know, we've all read kind of insta-love books where, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden they're ready to, to run off to Gretna Green and get married. <laughs> and, right. and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I felt like this, this was a book about adults falling in love to me. Like this was two people who were self-interested, realizing like they've met this person and they're like, okay, how do we do this? They're like, well, we can't. Okay, now we have to like go about our lives for, for six years until we do this. And I think there's, she makes a lot of mention of both Maria and Peter being in therapy, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was a really interesting thing to do because they talk about sort of that being in that series, being able to afford therapy, right? Like, Peter especially, but like that allows them some time to grow as people without it being because the other person is making them better. Right. Right. Like that, that felt very real to me. Uh That felt very real of like, we can be better people for everybody. Not just this person (laughs) we're not just this person we're, we're falling in love with, but for our friends and our family and all that. Um, And for ourselves. Steve. Right. And, and, <laughs> and so that development definitely felt more, more realistic than, than a lot of stories. And, and Olivia has done this in, in other books as well. Some of the Lovestruck Librarians books, mm-hmm. her earliest series, they're grown people, mm-hmm. you know, like having life events and dealing with things, and, but like the love is not curing it. And that's, I think, what makes it different and, and is to me a more appealing approach. Yeah. Yes, her, all of her characters, and there's a series about teachers as well, and I uh-huh. forget, Mary Wood, I don't know, it's set in Virginia, I believe, but they're teachers, mm-hmm. and all of her characters are just very mature, not like, mm-hmm. and they f- solve problems in a way that's like measured and intellectual, and it's nice, for lack of a better word, but it's just, it's, and it's done in a way that it's not like, look at me, I'm, I've read some... I'm not going to mention any names here, but like (laughs) pop psychology ways. And it's not, you know, it's just kind of silly. But these characters in her books are just thoughtful and considerate and respectful of each other and at all times. And it's just kind of refreshing. Like we're going to solve this in a way that doesn't hurt each other. And it's going to be great. And I think also the fact that they both talk to each other about why they're so messed up right (laughs) right like they talk about like what you know she had this troubled childhood he also had a troubled like there were reasons that they bounced off each other but also belonged together in some ways so right yeah now now i will say 
I hated the Maria's reasoning at the end. Like I just, I was, I felt you're just looking for something. <laughs> you're just like, yeah. just tell him, yeah. just tell him you don't want him to. I mean, like that's all. It's not. It's just you didn't have to. Doesn't have to be an ultimatum. Just say, hey, I would like it if either I went with you or you stay. Or we, you know, I don't know. It just was. It yeah. was one of those things that's like resolved in a, in a conversation. So I was like. Let's get it together, Maria. <laughs> well, and I think the fact that he comes back from the award show and like they have a conversation about it, right? Like they lay it all out and they're like, this is why I felt this way. This is why I felt this way. Hooray! We have, we have made it through the bleak moment. <laughs> you know, and I think that and some of it I think is I'm not a young man anymore <laughs> myself where like I'm just like you look very young <laughs> move on let's just go through this you know what would I do I would try to talk to the person so like sometimes I want that sometimes angst is good but yes. sometimes it's just like let's just get through that part right. yes so for sure Okay, that's awesome. So this novel is one of the only traditionally published romance novels that I know of, and maybe you know differently, but to feature two fat main characters. So tell me your thoughts about this, and if you have a take on the rise of body diversity in romance. So I I think that it is a net good thing. I think that everyone deserves to see themselves in a romance novel. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a long time, you know, we sort of started to see the needle move on women's body diversity a few years ago. But well, the I would say Bet Me with Jennifer Cruzy was probably in the mid-aughts. Sure. Yeah. And but in a lot of those cases, they were paired with a man who was buff and traditionally handsome. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But like we also deserve books where the characters are both fat. They don't, it doesn't have to be every book, but like it's nice to have that sort of that ability to see yourself in a romance novel. I think that is that is always awesome. Like there is no there is no downside to that. If you don't want that or like that, you don't have to read it. It's it's that easy. Right. And this was not just two kind of heavier people on the cover of the of the novel, which this was like descriptions of bodies that were not super thin. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. I thought that was different as well cuz like sometimes I mean I've read a lot of books and lots have featured fat or not or just what they say you know curvy heroines or whatever and like you don't actually see it in the descriptions in the book right they're just like oh she's curvy or they're curves and it's not like and this was like dimpled skin things that like mm -hmm. she had hair she didn't shave her underarms yeah. or her limbs. i mean these are things that like were very in your face a little bit like you just don't see in, in romance novels ever I've yeah been, I've, and i think that the really important part of that is they're not fat and dying to be thin. They're not fat and ill. They're mm -hmm. fat and hot. And like <laughs> they're universally accepted as hot. Um, right. You know, they have fans who, you know, would happily date them and write fan fiction about them. So like, I think that's really important. Again, to sort of not only see yourself, but see yourself portrayed as desirable on right. a screen. Or on a, a page, I guess right. a screen if you're reading the ebook, but yeah. Well, and, and for the dudes too, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Peter was, I mean, his physique, I mean, she calls him soft. That's never something we really hear. 
in romance novels when describing male physiques, unless it's, you know, an unfavorable thing. And so, yeah, I thought, and and when I say fat, that's what she calls it. I'm not trying to be uh, derogatory with that word. And it's not, it's not that anyway. So just want to make that clear. People get, you know, people have opinions. So I just try to cover on a basis here but yeah yeah i really liked it and the two previous books in the series featured fat heroines but this was the first one like i said where both characters were so Mm -hmm. yeah any other thoughts about that no i think i i think that's a i I think again it's you know as someone who has gotten bigger over the years like it's it's just nice to see that like that desirability sort of portrayed in a book and you know i think we see it more maybe now in indie books and i hope that this is sort of part of a move towards putting in in more mainstream large publisher books fingers crossed i hope i hope that the sales are such that they're like oh people like this but yeah okay sorry i just thought that i had cut you off but all right no you're fine awesome so did you think this book was funny i thought it was hilarious (laughs) um Uh uh-huh you know, there's a running gag with the uh, the jar of pickled herring. Yeah, that appears from nowhere, somewhere on some secreted somewhere on Maria's body. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was really funny because it just like becomes. It's not only part of their relationship lore; it's part of the friendship. It becomes part of the fan lore around them. Like it's just really neat how like she sort of incorporated that and like her little uh, nicknames for him, which I'm I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Um, but they're, they're not they're not nice words, but no. they're endearments. They're absolutely endearments that I thought were really funny and enjoyable. Yeah. And I thought there's one scene where the one member of the crew, the one woman on the crew who's like prides herself on looking really young and like ensnaring young men. And she discovers that the man she's been chasing is actually like 48. And and there's some reference to Paul Rudd in there. I, you know, like oh, really? there are just these little moments that are, are just hilarious. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. That wasn't probably my favorite part because she was very angry. <laughs> <laughs> she was very angry that he was so old. And I thought this is hysterical. And I liked the yeah. flip of that like here is this older older lady getting these you know just cougaring i guess about town and then she gets fooled and just upset about it i thought that was great but yeah i guess one of the reasons i i asked this question is i just want people to understand that women are funny and so i just have to keep writing this you know it's a tale as old as time that like just women aren't as funny as as guys and i right it's just not true so i just yeah i mean i felt like this was very much this was a funny book like i literally you know the the old saying i laughed i cried it was better than cats (laughs) like you know i definitely i cried at multiple points i laughed you know i scowled like i did all the things um (laughs) and i i think this book was great for that yeah and it was fun too all of these books have been fun and in a way that some romances aren't and so she's just like you said a warm blanket and it's great 
All right. So this was written in third person point of view from both Maria's and Peter's, Maria and Peter's perspectives. Does that head hopping bother you? And then did you think that Peter's perspective was indicative of how kind of heteronormative men think in relationships? So I did not, I was not bothered by the head hopping in this. Mm -hmm. It felt very, very natural. Uh, for lack of a better word, it, it felt like once I got used to the rhythm of it, I feel like there's always a rhythm to these. I felt like once I got past that, it was natural and it sort of flowed really easily. I do think, I think Peter is, has strong everyman vibes in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. You know, he had struggles with his family and, you know, connecting with his dad and, and all of these things, you know, again, it's, it's a fully realized man in a romance novel, which is not not something you always get. And I think the third person perspective kind of helps that, where you, you sort of get the, the inside and outside of him. Right, because um, Peter is, a lot of him is internal, right? Yeah. talk a lot. So. Yeah, and I, I felt like, you know, for a character that doesn't talk a lot, I did feel like this was almost more Peter's book than Maria's book in a lot of ways. Like I... I mean, they're both there, but it felt like, and maybe that's because I connected with Peter, but, you know, I felt like it was, it was as much his book, if not more so than it was Maria's. Sure. In a good way, like yeah. in yeah. nothing but a positive way, but yeah. Right. I mean, he does go, yeah, he, he has his, his arc and his journey. Mm -hmm. And so what did you, was there something specific about his kind of internal monologue or, or just character that you related to most? I, I think that he was, so, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that he was always striving for security mm -hmm. feels like something that I think men of, of my generation, you know, sort of Gen X, are, we were sort of raised in that mindset of, you know, we have to find that security, we have to make sure that we can provide for our families, you know, even if, even if we're following our dreams, we have to find stability. Right. So I think that for Peter, that idea of, you know, he couldn't be satisfied, he had to keep going and keep going, felt very relatable to me. And his dad gave off boomer vibes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was, it was very, it felt, that part felt very relatable as well. The, the relationship with the father, definitely, of, of, they just didn't understand each other. And, and it, it wasn't either of their faults, to a large degree. It was just, they didn't get it. So yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I, I ask, you know, there's just like, do you prefer third person or first person? Do you think even if like generally, yeah, generally, definitely yeah. first person can be very odd. Sometimes I've not read a lot of authors where I really like could get into it. First person. Um, mm -hmm. Kate Claiborne is someone who I've read who I think does first person really well. Um, She's just an, an amazing writer. I That's one of yeah. the people I like. I could never, I don't, it's just so dreamlike. I can't, it's just. Yeah. Her, her wordsmithing is, is just incredible. Yeah. You know, so I've, I've tried a few and, and it really, it takes the right, the, it has to be in the right hands to be done well, but I generally third person, it's kind of the, the bog standard romance novel perspective. So I, that's sort of, something i think i'm i'm just a little more comfortable with generally yeah gotcha especially if you've read a lot of historical ones they're all gonna be in third absolutely third. yeah so, all right cool so if you had to speculate wildly um 
what what do you think romance novelists or romance marketers need or publishers need to do to appeal more to men? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> so I think that I think that books like this can go a long way mm-hmm. um, in in helping with that because I think what. I know when when I've talked to other men who read romance or or don't read romance, like that that characterization element is so important. Being able to project yourself onto a character is it's why people read romance to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of thing is really important, and few authors do it incredibly well. So I think that that has to be a focus. I think that there's a larger question in general of just men not reading fiction. Sure. Um, yeah, that's why which is, dudes don't read, period. But go ahead. <laughs> right. I, and I think that that is, that is a thing. And, you know, I think there's a lot of men who read nonfiction, who read historic, you know, every every dad goes through a World War II phase, for example. <laughs> sure. um, uh-huh. You know, and, and so I think there's a larger societal thing about encouraging boys and men to read outside of school, you know, just for fun, just to enjoy it. And I think, you know, comics and graphic novels have come a long way in in helping a lot of men sort of bridge that and maybe more romance graphic novels is yeah. is something that would help i don't know but you know i think there there's sort of a larger societal question <laughs> that i think has to be answered first yeah um but then also yeah i think attention to detail and attention to characters is is how you get there right Oh no! I, I mean, and I'm just kidding. I, many of the men I know read and are very uh-huh. well read. But as I, when, I, you know, I've worked in libraries for over a decade. So, like, I one of the things, especially in the public library, one of the things you can't help but notice is that there are not a lot of men that come in, right? It's mm-hmm. it, unless they're retired, and even then, it's mostly retired women. If you've mm-hmm. ever worked in a public library, you know it's mostly homeschooling mothers and retirees you know what i mean uh-huh. not yeah. you know and so the glaring the thing that you don't see is is a lot of men so that's kind of where i was coming from um with that so it's yeah how do we get and like this is i feel romance is such an easy entry into reading right it's mm-hmm. it's comforting it's predictable it's still it's fun the characters are relatable like what how is this passing guys by right and so like what yeah. be your maybe it's something like a graphic novel that that's kind of neat thing yeah about, and so. and i think that some of it is you know, maybe some of that marketing of of a Cresley Cole or or something that sort of gets into the corners where where men are reading mm-hmm. in fantasy and science fiction and you know murder mystery and things like that. Some of the marketing could kind of go in that direction, and I think could help. I don't know. It's you know, I feel like it's, it's a question I've I've thought about a lot, and I yeah, I don't sure. even have an answer um, <laughs> as the target audience for the question. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you try. It was good. Your answer was good. I you know, what, is, what is there to, ever ever to do? All right, awesome. Well, that's all of the questions, and then we're gonna go into these quick categories. So, what was your hottest moment in this book? Oh, um, I think the the scene where they reunited after they go through the interviews and they have sex and they're talking about 
the one fan fiction about every surface in the hotel room. Like I thought that that, that was this nice combination of sort of a funny moment. Plus it was really hot and they, you know, did it on most surfaces. And, <laughs> and then Olivia inserts like a page of the fan fiction after that scene, which I thought was really fun. And like, again, also hot and, and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. And I fan fiction is a big part of the first novel where it's kind of mm-hmm. revealed that one of the stars of the Gods of the Gate show is writing a fanfic. And that's where the two main characters meet in that book. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of a thing that kind of spread across across these novels and something I've just not been very familiar with the fan fiction. I mean, like, obviously, I know that it's a huge thing in romance, but I thought it was fun. And I thought brought a different world and to these books these books were very nerdy in a way you know they oh don't... absolutely <laughs> they're so, they're definitely for for an audience they're yeah. for a specific audience definitely and i appreciate it so all right sounds good i liked the moment where filming wraps and they're in the hallway and like finally they're gonna do stuff and then they're distracted or whatever but i thought yeah. that was <laughs> yeah that was a good one too okay sweetest or most romantic moment so I think there's a lot to choose from in this. I thought that the the moment where she is standing on a cliff mm-hmm. and he is desperate with worry for her, uh-huh. I just thought was like the most romantic thing. It just, it, it was both a dangerous and romantic moment at the same time. Right. Yeah. Concern for each other. That is, that is. Yeah. For sure. And so just the hallmark of like when something becomes meaningful to you as a person, like that's in my Uh own relationships, that's been the moment where I've been like, oh, this is a person I could be with when they show concern for my just general welfare. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be. So, okay, great. The most relatable moment. And by the, I thought the sweetest moment was when he was going to st- stand up for her about, at the end against the showrunners about the clothing, maybe. It was some sort of thing where it was to do with their weight. And yeah. I don't know. But he, it, was, it was the shaving. Right. And he was going to stand in solidarity with her and not shaving. and Which was a reversal from earlier in the book where he wasn't going to stand in solidarity right. with her about the losing weight. So I was like, okay, dude's on point now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Most relatable moment. Um, you know, I think for me, it was the moment where the two of them are sitting by the side of the lake and he finally opens up about his mom and all of that like it just felt like that was that moment where when you're vulnerable to a person but you're not sure if you're going to get that back right like you're you're not sure what you're going to get in return um just felt very it was very human and very relatable moment it's interesting that you say that because on the previous podcast it was i do these interstitials where we talk about female friends and I talk about what the guys have said in, in the previous in the previous podcast. Oh, okay. And one of the things that one of the girls mentioned was that guys tend to that's what their definition of intimacy is, is like being having a space and feeling secure to, enough to be vulnerable with someone else. And so mm-hmm. 
I guess that that kind of goes along with that and not proves that, but lends some truth. truth Yeah. But I don't think that that's, I don't think that's just a male thing. That's just people, right? Like if you're vulnerable to someone, you're going to feel it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure. All right. So did you think that there were any lies or misconceptions about men in this book or like the way she wrote male characters? Did you think that there were any misses? Like she was kind of way off. I, you know, I honestly didn't think so. I feel like the characterization of Peter, like, it just felt very real. It's, you know, it it's rare that I feel like I identify with the man in the romance novel. Uh-huh. And I felt like I was just 100% connected to Peter. Right. Um, so nothing, there was nothing that felt sort of too exaggerated or anything like that. I like I could get where he was coming from at, at all points, really. Can you think of, and I don't want to, this is off script here, but do, are there any male characters, any other male characters that you can think of that you either really did not identify with or kind of identified with at least a little bit? I would say, oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, so it's a, it's a little bit hackneyed to say Derek Craven. <laughs> In, in this eclipse is dreaming of you but he was again he was a character who was not of noble standing right. you know like he he was born on the streets he mm-hmm. he came up i felt like he had a very uh guttural feeling that was that was relatable you know there have been other characters over the years that just aren't coming to mind right now but um sure. you know they, it it happens occasionally I've, you know, I've also, there have been books where I've I strongly identified with the female character yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa Cole's uh, Duke by Default, oh, uh-huh. um, which I'm now completely blanking on the names of those characters, but that was an example where the female main character was dealing with her ADHD and like disappointing her parents. And like, it just felt very, it, she was a very relatable character. Portia. To me. Portia. There you go. Portia. You know, so I, I think it it kind of, it can kind of go both ways and it's it has more of a an emotional connection than anything else. Yeah. But it was nice to sort of have that that male character be yeah. the one in this. That's cool. But Derek Craven, I mean, like that's that's so it's just the strength of Derek Craven. I mean, like he's for everybody, and he's right. totally, he, like anybody. Right, some people will argue with you about that, but yeah, I don't know who. I mean, crazy. <laughs> I mean, he's just like when you think of, there are so few male characters that people that are so kind of universally mentioned, right? I mean, right. Like in the top five male romance characters and i mean i couldn't even tell you the others at this moment to be honest (laughs) oh he's just like it right everybody yeah gravitates toward him so lisa clapis you know um uh queen um okay (laughs) most uh annoying moment oh i don't know if anything really stuck out as annoying in this one i usually you know like i alluded to earlier i I can get annoyed with a bleak moment (laughs) where it's just like, Oh, come on. Like this could be result. You, you have cell phones in this world, right? Like this could be resolved. And even, you know, sometimes those bleak moments are understandable. Like people don't communicate, but like 
I I am not a conflict person. Sure. So like if we can just buzz past that, I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> and I felt like this book, the the bleak moment was understandable and you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. And then it and then it was done. You know, so I think when when that moment can be not cannot feel forced. It didn't feel forced, I guess, is is the thing. So that would usually be where I get annoyed, and and I did not in this case. So. It, yeah, it was not drawn out. It was very quick, and it, it was very quick because it was silly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely, like, absolutely. All right, Maria. Like we get <laughs> like just he's not an unreasonable person. Like you just right. actually have to say, I would like to spend time with. Like that's all that's going to happen. Yeah. You've been so she was. It was slightly unbelievable to me because she had been so communicative and open um, their entire kind of relationship. But I, you know, everybody has that thing. It's that true. It's true. Brings the gate crashing down, and and I could understand it from that perspective. But I also like I appreciated that when she was by herself after that. You know, she was thinking through like what her therapist told her, and you know, like she kind of came to the same conclusion that everybody else did eventually. It, you know, it took a minute, but yeah. Yeah. It was, I, yeah. I, that was the only thing I found an, annoying about this. I, and like I said, just the dragging of the game of Thrones. People. See, I, I enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It just, I just felt I, and I don't feel bad for people. Like I'm not very empathetic. Like I rebel <laughs> on other people's discomfort and pain. Yeah. It was just so much. <laughs> anyway, all right. This is more for other people, but what it was something you might have think you have learned about love or romance from this book, if anything. I mean, I think. If nothing else, it's a reminder of the value of communication and being willing to be vulnerable to another person. I think we all forget. I mean, even if you're married for, you know, I've been married for, you know, 13 years and and you forget that sometimes. And, you know, it's it's understandable. So I thought that was really the that romance value of it to me. That's a that's pretty that's more than most people say um i have dumb friends you know what i mean (laughs) that's fair that's fair we all do no it's good i'm kidding they're lovely most of the time (laughs) when they're they're not talking it's fine yeah (laughs) okay well thank you that's all the quick categories so just kind of wrapping up so did this romance novel you've read, like we've said, a bunch of, of romance novels. And so how did this one compare to others that you've read? What were some kind of highlights or things that were different or just ways that this book is, we kind of talked about body diversity and how this is kind of moving the needle on on what the genre is embracing. And so just tell me about your thoughts on on this compared to other other books. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, it definitely met my expectations. I, you know, I had some thinking of what Olivia was going to deliver as I was reading it, but I, I felt like, you know, sort of the range of emotions, like I said, that I experienced was 
was something that I wasn't quite expecting. You know, I really like felt this book in a lot of right. ways. Mm-hmm. And I hope that books like this, not just in terms of body diversity, but also in terms of embracing pop culture mm-hmm. um, and sort of the different ways that people engage with pop culture, yeah. you know, can sort of be a model for other, other books. Because I think, you know, this is, again, this is a very accessible romance even though it starts with the sex scene, it's still very accessible. And I think that non-romance readers can read this and get something out of it. They were Um, very accessible. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of Easter eggs in here for, Mm -hmm. you know, romance readers to begin with, but like, it's still like, there's, it's a very accessible book. And I I really appreciate that. For sure. And I, well, you said something and I had a thought and now it has escaped me, but I, I think that there's, oh, you know, I normally don't like books about actors and Mm -hmm. that something about it just I'm just like not I don't know I don't know what it is it's just a personal like man yeah I don't find them I don't find celebrity interesting do you know what I mean so like that's sure. what absolutely yeah. turns me away from from those characters but she did I think whatever angst they felt wasn't I mean except I guess in Peter's case a little bit but that was more about security and proving things to his dad but like so often i think that celebrities are shallow and that universe is shallow right Mm -hmm. and i think that one of the things that this book in particular did with the body diversity is kind of make these people not shallow and kind of just regular people which was a nice departure from like the glitz and the glamour of of celebrity which kind of i feel feel like is what people play up in in that um setting and so this was yeah it felt like a a co-worker romance yeah not a celebrity romance and i i think that that's definitely that sort of that difference definitely for sure so yeah so where would you place this would you recommend this to another male to read and you said that you have other male friends who read romance I don't friends might be a strong word, but you know, like people I know who I've I've talked with about this because being kind of a, a public person, you know, a public man who reads romance, like people want to talk to you about these things. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend this. I think that, you know, the the highest praise I can give it is I would read it again. Oh, uh-huh. Which for me is very rare with the romance novel. Once once right. I've read it, I'm like, eh, I'm done. Okay, move on. Yeah. Um, but this, I feel like, I, honestly, I would go back and and read as a comfort read. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I said, I think it's very accessible. I think that it's something I would I would definitely recommend. Okay. Any other final thoughts about this book or romance in general that you want to share? I don't think so. I think you know the the standard spiel I give men about romance is just it's it's a vast genre where you can literally find any idea or trope or kink or whatever you know or setting in it if you're if you're willing to put in the effort and I think it's it is it's worth it it's these are fun books to read. I enjoy it. They are fun. That's what I I most want people to to realize. Like in yeah. in that romance authors are in on the joke, right? Like that's what I think guys don't. A lot of the people I've talked to on the podcast is they just don't. They think that 
I don't know. It's, I feel like romance novels are so tongue in cheek a lot of the time. And like, there's, they're kind of playing on the idea of what people think a, a romance novel is. And right. I just don't think that that is a concept that the men on this podcast have really understood until they read them, of course. And I think, I think they're getting it. As I said, they're not very small. But... <laughs> 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 anyway all right i'm kidding they're wonderful so okay well that is amazing steve this has been fantastic i hope that you'll do it again and um <laughs> let, how how do we follow you again it's at romance historian at romance historian sure. on instagram and yep. on instagram Stegan. and stegan uh s-t-e-g-a-n on uh twitter romancehistory.com is my website, which is infrequently updated, but has lots of articles. And I also occasionally write about men who have written romance, oh, which I think yeah. is, is something that, you know, people don't, don't really talk about. And I think that's always interesting as well. So yeah, I, I am, I'm around. Right. Except for Nicholas Sparks, who is not romance, but people. Not romance. romance, not yeah. romance. <laughs> that's somebody who knows. All right. Excellent. So, Steve, there's only one thing left to do. Thank you so much again. It was, I appreciate it. It was fantastic. I had a great time. Uh, excellent. And there's only one thing left to do. Steve, please tell me that you love romance. Oh, I love romance. <laughs> excellent.